Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly and joined with me, of course, is Serge Boudreaux. Serge, welcome to our show. <laughs> welcome to our show, right? <laughs> yeah. Shelly, I'm pretty excited. I've actually mm-hmm. known of this lady for a really long time, mm-hmm. did some work with a company I was working with. I've heard her on the Chat and Cheese show. I've heard her all across the industry. So I'm excited to introduce Angela Hood, who is the CEO and founder of This Way Global. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much, Serge. It was actually so much fun to work with you previously. So this is very exciting. And Shelly, I'm really looking forward to meeting you today. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I feel a little left out here that the two of you have worked together. (laughs) Anybody want to share like what, where, how? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of insights on that. As you know, I worked at Robots and Pencils, which is in the digital transformation space. And there is a lot of recruitment, everyone in the web developer world or anything in tech right now. So we're always testing different tools that can help us be better at what we did. And we came across This Way Global, AI for Jobs, and worked with Angela's team to be kind of a pilot, right, Angela? You know, what... We really appreciated from you and your team was we take feedback very critically because we really want to be able to deliver for the user what it is that they need and delivered in a way that it's very accessible for them. And a lot of people, when they realize we're an artificial intelligence company, they're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really difficult to use. And we were like, no, no, we cannot be like that. So our point is if we can just hide in the background and the recruiter doesn't even think about us being there, we've won because we've just made the recruiter the superhero. And so uh, we went to Serge and said, how can you help us understand how to make the recruiter the superhero? And he gave us incredible feedback. uh, And it took us nine months to adjust some product things that he and some other uh, recruiters and recruitment teams had suggested. And it dramatically improved the product. And Serge, you don't know this yet, right? So this is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about doing this. When you were helping us, we had 35 customers. Okay. We now have 5,500 customers. What? Sorry, say that again. We had 35. Now we have 5,500. Oh, my God. Wow. And we are on a ramp to have 20,000 by the end of next year. I got to say, your product is exceptional. And and when we looked at it, you're looking at the experience, right? Yeah. The biggest thing when I'm looking at my recruitment teams is how efficient can they be? And initially the product was really in its infancy. There was a it lot was, of yeah. different things. Like the background of the technology was amazing, but there was a lot of UI, different challenges yes. for using it on a day-to-day basis. So I'm ecstatic to hear that. I think wow. that's fantastic news. Obviously, you've If you're getting that traction, you've got something special going on there. But a lot of our audience doesn't know who Angela Hood is because HR tech is a space that either you've been in the HR tech space or HR recruitment space for a long time and you just build a product or we're seeing a lot of people that really don't have a lot of experience in the HR tech space, but have found a big challenge and have the tech background and jump in. So tell me a little bit about Angela and how you got into HR tech. Oh yeah, it's kind of a, a crazy path. So I'm a female engineer, but my 
first engineering passion is around architecture. So I was a construction engineer. And when I was graduating as an undergrad, naturally put together my resume and I'm going to put my name up at the top, Angela. And I think that's going to be fine. And I was getting no calls and I had a really good resume. I had great references, good internships, all the stuff but nothing, silence. And so then someone suggested, it might be because you're a woman. I'm like, no, that, that's not going to matter because I was kind of naive at this point. And someone suggested use your initials, so which are AL. So it's convenient because it looks like Al. And so everyone thought I was a guy. I would submit the Al resume for the same job, same company, Come same on. exact, no, I'm not joking, same resume. And I would get calls left and right, got jobs, the whole bit. Once they met me, it was fine. I could like get past it. They just did not even want to like take me for a phone interview if I was a woman. The job that I did at that point in time for about 20 years was out in the field. And just the idea of having a 25-year-old female engineer on a job with a lot of men, they just thought, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing or she doesn't know what she's asking for. I love construction. I still do. I spend my first professional life, I'll say, in that industry, and it's a constant battle the entire time because everyone always thinks I'm the job secretary. They don't realize that I'm the lead engineer. You know, it's just part of life. Eventually, I marry a Marine, and he's a fighter pilot, and then when he gets out of the Marine Corps, he has the same problem because no one can see what he could possibly do if he's just been a fighter pilot. Like, what could you possibly do for my company? And the VA matching system matched him to a women's shoe salesman job at Macy's. That was their match. And this is true. So it just continues to go on and on. Finally, I get fed up with it. And I look around. I'm like, no one's fixing the problem. So I was like, I'm going to try to fix it. And I went to Cambridge, moved my family to England. We lived there for four years, worked with 150 engineers and recruiters. I failed 13 times. It is incredibly difficult to solve this problem. And if it is not for people like Surge, we don't actually get to this point because we could never have figured out all the things that we had to figure out to make it work. Okay. That just pinged my heartstrings. (laughs) Angela, I can tell you, I say the same thing, not quite on the same scale, but the wonderful things that Surge has done for me in my career as well. Okay, it's not a surge love fest here. It Uh, is a surge love fest. (laughs) Just take it in and say you're welcome. Okay, you're welcome. There's a couple of things that you mentioned that that were really interested. There is a large bias against female in in the tech space. We've all seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Like they won't say it out loud, but I know they're doing it and I know they have reservations. Have you seen a difference in that though? Are you starting to see a difference in how we approach that? So when I first started talking about this, I got booed at HR tech events. Yes. What? Uh, And yes, I got booed because I would say we're all biased. Recruiting, hiring managers, companies are all biased. Also, applicants and candidates are biased because if you're human, you're biased. And it's not discrimination. The two things are not the same, but that's what they get conflated together. Then around... 2019, we won HR Tech Innovation of the Year, the People's Choice Award at HR Tech in Las Vegas in 2019. Then there was like, we're getting a glimmer of recognition that I'm not getting booed anymore. So this is a good sign. And then 2020 hits and in July, people come out of the woodwork 
to say, oh, okay, now we get this thing that you've been talking about. And it really wasn't until uh, December of 2020 that we really started hitting the traction. And the inflection point for us was in 2021. For me, it's so rewarding because you're absolutely right. There is this huge bias in engineering in particular, but not just in engineering. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, there's reverse bias about men too, though. When Victoria's Secret gets open jobs and men apply to it, people will say, and this is not Victoria's Secret, this is like recruiters that are trying to do contingent work for L Brands. But they'll say, maybe he's a pervert because he's wanting to get to work for them. And then you actually look at the person and they're in fashion merchandising, fashion design. That's why they want to go to work for this brand, but they are also judged. So it's not just women. It happens to everyone. So that's why I always try to tell people that you can't confuse discrimination and affirmative action with removing bias. But I will tell you, if you remove the bias, you will increase the diversity of your team and your ROI will be increased. You posted something on LinkedIn this morning, and I'll I'll read exactly (laughs) what you posted. Highly intelligent people often have bias. Bias is not discrimination. It's fine to have bias when selecting a life partner or a restaurant, but it has no place in recruitment. So. A lot of people will come back and say, I don't have any bias, even though we <laughs> all have bias. Like I know I do. I, and I know probably Shelly has some days. We all oh. have it. So I have it. Bias is a survival mechanism. We have to have it or we don't live as a human. If I may just really emphasize the fact, Angela, that you're drawing a thick line between discrimination and bias. And I think so many people just, they see it all as one thing, right? Like, wouldn't it be a utopia where organizations don't have bias? No, it's impossible. So talk more about the solution and about your organization. I mean, we prioritized it. I did not start off down the road of, I'm going to remove bias. It happened over the course of a couple of years where we finally identified, oh, wait, this is what's causing the problem. And I'll, I'll give you some examples like gaps in employment. So if you mm-hmm. are a parent and you've taken some time to stay with your child as a newborn, right. or you have a sick person in your family, or you needed a mental health break, I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? Yeah. That people then will not interview you, even though you are 100% qualified. Now, I will tell you one of the things I've learned is I used to think it was the recruiters that were really the block. A lot of times it's hiring managers. The recruiters will see something in this person and they push them forward and the hiring manager's like, no, and they'll come up with whatever. The other thing that I learned from years of research is that this filtering that we do is because we're looking for a shortcut. We're cognitively overloaded. We're tired. We're fatigued. Mm -hmm. We've got to find this person. We've got to fill this seat. This is an easy way to throw this person out. They've got something wrong with them. Instead of taking the other view, which is to say, what is this person bringing to the table that I don't have right now? And it's going to make us a better team, make us a better company. And when you flip the script on looking at the person, you're like, okay, wait, let's talk to them. We had a customer that we've had for a long time, one of our earliest customers, and a person had applied for them three times and they had never been looked at. They applied through uh, our technology the fourth time 
And we ranked them number two. And the company had committed to interviewing the top 10 of our rank and score anytime that we ranked and scored on a job. And when they interviewed her, she was a black woman and an engineer, product engineer. And when they interviewed her, they were like, she's a unicorn. She is absolutely brilliant, mm-hmm. incredible at having insight on products and all this kind of stuff. And they had overlooked her three times because she did not come from a university that they knew about because she came out of an HBCU that they had never heard of. Anyone who's been in recruitment for more than uh, a year knows that what you're saying is absolutely the case. So using technology, and it sounds like utopia to me, Angela. So here's the other side of it. I think we've all heard the urban legends or the cautionary tales that Amazon used their own kind of algorithms or scoring. And turns out that the whole thing was so incredibly biased. There's some hesitancy for TA leaders to even consider going down this path. So what say you, Angela, to that? Yeah, it's founded in uh, past experience, so you can't blame them. We prioritized it is because of my own life experience. I knew that if you could see my name, my picture, that I had gaps in my employment, that I, I looked like a train wreck my first decade of my career because we moved nine times in the first decade because my husband was in flight training and I'm a military spouse and people just don't know what that means or what that means to your career, but I'm not a train wreck. And because I had all of these experiences and I also saw them in my friends and family. Mm -hmm. uh, And then I did research for three or four years on it. We baked those things into the product to say, you're not going to be matched based off your gap, lack of gap, we don't care. What we care about is, are you qualified to do this job? Do you get what the job is? Do you want to do the job? Can you do the job? Okay, then you're going to get matched. And then we work with companies that are fair. If you're not a fair-minded company, I don't want to work with you. Like if, if you can't bring that to the table, you don't have to be perfect. No one's going to be perfect. And we do, we have to turn away companies sometimes because they just say ridiculous things and do ridiculous things. That's even worse. I'm really curious how the technology actually works in the background. So not getting too technical, how does it really match? We've built it over a long time with lots of help from diverse people. That's one of the things we found out. We needed diverse people to help build us because they would help check for bias constantly. We also had very diverse data because we had data from all the different countries and we had 48,000 different job types. So that helped a lot. But then fundamentally, we had to actually um, really think through what are the challenges that the recruiter has? So if a job is JavaScript developer, that's the job title. And Java developer comes in and a Node.js developer comes in, most recruiters and sometimes it's just because they're in a rush, they will pick the Java developer and pass that one through and they will throw the node or the React developer in the trash. Yeah, And that's actually who's qualified. But they don't know that. And we call it information bias. It's just that they think they know something that they don't know. It happens a lot with schools. We've had people say we want uh, Cambridge MBAs from England and we rank the candidates and it pops up one, two, and three are all from judge business school and they get thrown out. And we find out it's because the recruiter didn't understand that our matching knows 
that judge is the business school at Cambridge. And so we've learned that we really need to spend the first 30 to 90 days with the customer having unfettered access to our team to kind of validate, ask questions, whatever. Oftentimes within the first 30 days, the recruiter now is a believer because they've seen it and they're like, okay, now I can trust the system. But we get that. And I think that's part of us too is saying, look, we're a partner with you. We're not trying to do this as a transactional relationship. We're trying to transform recruiting and your company. Are you aware, Angela, that there's a war going in the HR space when it comes to job coaches and HR and talent acquisition professionals. There's this whole thing out there that these job coaches are saying, hey, I'll tailor your resume to bypass the ATS. And recruiters are coming back and saying, we look at all the resumes. And I think this is true. 95% of talent acquisition departments have antiquated ATS that would have nothing that comes close to matching. I think we're confusing candidates in some ways thinking, okay, here's a resume for you to bypass the ATS. I see weird things like they'll put a hundred keywords. I saw this yesterday, hundred keywords at the end of the resume. Because we have too much volume coming in most of the time, which is part of the challenge. We need a tool to help us get to the right people. But we're looking at all resumes. The great majority of the time, we do not trust technology at this point to make sure that I don't miss that unicorn. I I don't want to miss that person in the system. So what's your overall take on that, that whole war that's going on? So I used to think that everyone looks at resumes too, but I will tell you because of the volume of customers that we work with, that that is not what's happening. Usually 20 to 25% of the applications are looked at. The rest of them are never opened, not even touched. Most uh, applicant tracking systems and CRMs stack rank uh, applicants based off of when they came in. So it's time stamping. It has nothing to do with who's more qualified. It, it's literally luck of the draw. You apply. Are you in the 25% that happens to come in when the recruiter was looking at their ATS? And we should not have a crapshoot. This is not the place for gambling. Our system really does look at everyone. The tricks like you, what you just said do not affect our system whatsoever because our system understands contextualized information. If you just blah, 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 keywords. No, that's not contextualized. And so it sees it for what it is. It took us many years to build this. And Serge, as you know, we were really diligent about working closely and not going to market too quickly. It took us probably a year and a half longer than everyone else that we compete with to go to market because we were like, we've got to get this right because everyone keeps pushing it to market too fast and they're not ready. So we're integrated with Salesforce and we have a native integration with them. And that's 150,000 companies that have access to that application. You can't go through and become a native Salesforce partner unless you're ready. And so that was the other thing we're like, we can't rush this. I think that has made a really big difference for us in the fact that we know what's really happening. And we're supporting the recruiter in that effort. So you will actually know that you've seen every single resume that has come through and matched to the job that they applied for, but also every job that they didn't see. And this is huge because people apply for the wrong jobs all the time. And so now if a person comes in and they're a junior accountant 
and they apply for a senior accountant role, they're going to be scored lower. But if you have a junior accountant job, they're going to be scored really high and you're not going to miss that person. And that's what's fair that you know, the person wants yeah. to work for you. So let's make sure that they get the opportunity to do. So you bring up a really good point, Angela, and I struggle with this all the time, because if you have four or five different jobs where you're thinking, could I take this candidate that applied? And I actually think they're better for another open role, but they didn't apply for that job. It's been for me, almost a moral struggle because I have hiring managers that can't make a decision to save their lives. They're always like, let's wait and see. Maybe something else will come in. And I'm like, no, let's get moving here because we'll never fill the job. But then they're also saying, why don't we advertise the job this way and then bait and switch them? I don't ever want to do that to people. In my imagination, there is this system that will almost work like Amazon and recommend jobs to me. Is that what your system does though? Yes. Yeah. So this is utopia. Okay. Wow. Okay. (laughs) We're trying to get to utopia. (laughs) Well, okay. Um, So the fact that right now the labor market, Canada and US, there is people who are looking to pivot. They've got great skills. I'm going to use a kindergarten example. I was a line cook in a restaurant and I don't want to do that anymore because you pay me like crap. I never know my shift and I smell like oil all day long. So I don't want to do that anymore. But how does that candidate find a job on maybe the last mile assembly of cars or installing accessories or, you know, there's so many jobs where they would never know that their skills translate. Is the future already here, Angela, with your solution? It is. So I will tell you where we get the challenge. We get the challenge from the recruiter and the hiring manager. So I'm going to give a shout out to one of our customers that is actually one of the more open-minded customers, and they're really benefiting from it. And this is SAS Retail. And they are open to people who have never done the job that is being advertised but has the capabilities, has the ability to work the hours, has the proximity to the location where the job is, these other things that are much softer, let's say, as far as requirements. But they're like, let's work with them. And I'm like, yes, okay. So we love them. Like They're great. And also the applicants love them because there's a steady flow. They have thousands of jobs. So it's just a steady flow. And it's really reciprocated on both sides. Then we have other customers that are newer. We found that it takes about a bit of time for customers to get used to the benefits. You're like, okay, actually this does work. I need to change my mindset. Some of them are newer and they're very rigid. And this will be a warehouse fulfillment job. Mm-hmm. And very specifically, this person has to be uh, operating industrial equipment inside this warehouse. Okay. And so I'm going to give every recruiter that's listening to this a tip. Okay, here is how you figure out what you should call the job. Imagine you are at a cocktail party and someone has just asked you, what is your job? What is the person going to say? I will tell you, they're not going to say I'm a warehouse associate order builder. Not going to say that. Really? Oh, not. (laughs) Oh, what they will say is I am an industrial equipment operator 
for Blake, which is one of the largest brands in the entire world, top 10 brand in the world. That's what they will say, because that sounds really cool. I'm an industrial equipment operator for one of the best companies in the world. Mm -hmm. Or I can be a warehouse associate order builder. And so that's what we tell people. These are human beings. They want to be proud of the job they're applying for. They want to be proud of the job that they've been asked to join the company for. They want to brag about it. The more they brag about it, the more people say it's really cool, the more you're likely to retain them as an employee. There's all this stuff that like really can happen magical. And it starts with the job and the job description because that's the invitation. Yeah. I agree. I think the challenge when it comes to leveraging a skill set and moving into a new industry, it's not the recruiters. I think the recruiters are very much in that mindset of looking at those skill sets and having them transferable. It's generally the hiring managers that they're used to, hey, I, I did this for 10 years and this person has to have gone through the same path as I did or they're not qualified. And we know this labor market where like August, the numbers just came out, 4.4 million people left their jobs in the US. And right now there's 10.4 million jobs open in the US. And the numbers are very similar in Canada. Uh, Just not as big. (laughs) Just not as big. We have a labor mismatch and a pretty deep one as well. There is a lot of technology, Angela. It's it's very noisy in the HR tech space, as you're probably Mm -hmm. aware. It's confusing for practitioners. Of course. Uh, There's so much coming at us, and we are overloaded. We're used to dealing with 10 to 15 recs. Now we're dealing with 50 to 60 recs. Uh, So there's a lot coming in, but... There is an opportunity to really step up our game when it comes to our tech stack and how we work to make our jobs better. Because this is a really unique time. The executives are looking at recruitment and they're saying, what do you need? We're getting attention that we've never had before. There is opportunity for more budget. There's opportunity to enhance what we do. But there's so much confusion. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. What do you think is going to be the biggest disruptor in the HR tech space that practitioners listening right now should be looking into if it's the right tool or the right approach for them? Yeah. So I'll tell you what we prioritized because we saw the greatest amount of fatigue for recruitment team was coming with needing integrations into their existing platforms, whatever they are, it doesn't matter. And if they're going to move from one platform to the other, they need this information and data and everything to be able to move over. And they don't have the time or interest, honestly, in even having integration conversations. And then there's the expense of it. So we said, okay, that is what, in our view, was the number one obstacle. And we are taking uh, orders for this right now, but we will launch in, in Q2 of 2022 we will launch an integration platform that we have 650 APIs and APIs, the way I think of them is they're just Lego bricks, right? So you put together the Lego bricks that you need to make the shape that you want. And that's your HRIS systems. So we have 650 and that's a lot to give you an idea. Most companies have one, maybe two. And the reason why we have so many is so that a customer can come to us and say, I need this and this. And we put them together and then we can move them because they were put together and we're removing all the problems that you mentioned with old legacy systems. It doesn't matter what kind ERP or ATS, CRM, 
whatever acronym you want to pick. And I think that is how we transform the industry. And we give the recruiters access to the tech that they need when they need it and stop tying them down with things like integrations, which are not their job. Integrations actually don't drive results. And it doesn't have to be this way. And we've been working on this for seven years. I'm just finally to the point where I know I can do it. And we will roll it out in Q2. And for me, I feel like that we've done a service to the industry by figuring this out because it's long overdue. I, I cannot round wait of applause. Yeah, oh my round god! Of applause. I think. That's oh my amazing. god! <laughs> Angela, it's funny because I saw you were at SAS Academy a couple of weeks ago, and uh, <laughs> actually, background: Dan Martell and myself went to high school together. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I did not know him because he was a badass kid. I think he got arrested when I was mm-hmm. grade 11 with him. And yeah, he went to jail when he was 16. Yep. Yes, exactly. That's when I knew him. And then I lost track of him till one day I saw a news article that he had sold his first company. Then I started following him and I'm a big fan of his. But the most exciting thing is you're part of the Google Global Accelerator Program. Tell me more yeah. about that. So this is outrageously awesome for us. I'm not going to even pretend this. <laughs> we were looked at for about a year before we were selected for it. And it has been mind-blowing in multiple different ways. So some ways it was validation when they look at something that you have, piece of your tech or whatever, and they're like, we have nothing to add. You get the gold stamp of approval. And then wow. and other things, we're not good at marketing. Uh, we've never had the budget to do marketing because we put it all into the product. And it's our weakness in our company. We're not a marketing company. And they have really helped us identify what we can do and what we can do very quickly. To give you an example, we had a a really high bounce rate on our website and they gave us some tips for what to do. And it was like a 700% improvement in one week. We had some other things around our content that something had not been set up exactly right. They gave us some insight on how to use some different analytics products inside Google that opened my eyes to things I've never seen before, including how much money uh, people waste because they don't know what they're doing. So anyway, there's a lot of insight that we've gotten from this, but the part that I think people overlook, so everyone automatically goes, oh my gosh, you're working with Google, you're partnering with them on this. But the other founders that, because they're also, you know, very select group and the projects that they're working on are very insightful, but they also give me some insight into like the jobs that are coming, the jobs that we don't have yet, the problems that need to be solved, what kind of people we're going to need to solve those problems with. And the the quality of individuals and teams that we get to work with is just, I don't know, it's mind-blowing. I, I would tell you that if you ever have the opportunity to work with them, they really put in their all. It's not half-hearted. Angela, if I had the opportunity to work with Google, I would take it. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm just not at your level. Oh, Serge, please. Angela, this was fantastic. I really oh, wow. appreciate you coming in. For the audience, there's a lot of great tips and a lot of information they can use. So if they want to get a hold of you or This Way Global or AI for Jobs, yeah. uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? 
So I'm going to give you an email and everyone's going to be like, oh, that's like not the real email. It is the real email. It goes to my executive assistant, Michael, who you have talked to many times. He is the golden ticket in our company. <laughs> Send it to contact at thiswayglobal.com. And just tell us literally like what you need help with. What's the problem you're trying to solve? So our goal is to offer our customers to find value in two minutes. That's the goal of this new integration technology. And through that, we have created massive expansion and partnerships. So when people come to us and they want something and we don't have it, we don't try to like be something that we're not. We'll just introduce you to someone that we know has good tech and that we know is going to treat you fair. And you're actually going to get the outcome that you're looking for. And I think that's really important. So I would tell people, you don't have to necessarily need sourcing and matching, which is what we specialize in. You can come to us and say, I'm trying to solve this problem and we'll connect you. Like you said, with SAS Academy founders, or I have a pretty good network now through Google and uh, some other organizations we're part of. And if I can leverage that network to help solve this problem, then we're going to do it. I do want to wow. bring you back on when you launch more your integration tool okay. because I think that is a major issue. I work with HR tech companies. I, I know the pain of integration yeah. and ATS being the central nerve point of everything you do for a lot of companies and how yeah. these tools work together. So we will bring you on. But Angela, amazing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, you Angela. How it was fun. great. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Everyone have a great week. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.